0: Uh, I kind of want to start with your job, if that's okay. If you're ready to talk yeah, about work, yeah, absolutely, sure. Uh, even though I don't, because you're you're a nurse, correct? I am a nurse. So your schedule is kind of weird. You don't really have weekends, right? And uh, I, or,
1: I do every other weekend. Okay, that's the that's the requirement, at least, to work in the hospital mm-hmm. um, for for one of my jobs. So okay, um, yep. but it varies on. It varies from, from job to job, but mm. right now, uh, i I work at the hospital at UVM medical center on a neurology floor and I'm part-time there. So my actual schedule is Saturday, Sunday, I work two 12 hour shifts. I have one day off and then I work Tuesday, Wednesday, two 12 hour shifts. And then I have nine days off, which is pretty sweet. I pay extra for health insurance, but that gets me all of my benefits and stuff. And then it gives me a big stretch of time off, which Mm -hmm. is um, like a huge thing that I've started finding to be really important in my life in general, um, which is part of why I became a nurse, but definitely during COVID time off and flexibility became more important. So uh, usually when you're a nurse in a hospital, you work three days a week, but the extra day off just makes it feel uh, that much more beautiful. Uh, to have the that much time, so
0: mm-hmm. yeah. So the neurology. Uh, so I, when you say that, I understand that it's like kind of brains and stuff, but I don't really know what that entails. Could you kind of describe for people like me and other non like sciency? hospitality people like what that really entails
1: yeah sure sure <laughs> um so you, you you are on the you are on the right path uh okay that's good but there, I know <laughs> uh, you gotta, you, there's lots lots of brain stuff um and then uh, like spine and nerve things so anything that comes off the brain i'd say it falls into the neurology it's also a neurosurgery floor so any surgeries that involve the brain or the spine so I'd say the most of the population that come on our floor are either re- in relation to seizures, um, which is like abnormal brain activity, um, in varying levels. Like everyone thinks of a seizure is like that one you see in shows, which is actually kind of the most common one where mm-hmm. someone like shakes and stops responding, uh, which is called a tonic conic seizure. Uh, and then we have strokes um and then there's all these kind of like neurodegenerative disorders uh multiple sclerosis um whew, there's just like any sort of like muscle weakness things that happen like that i'm trying to th- like oh, my brain's starting to run out of like the quick off the top yeah. stuff but and then like uh, as far as like the surgery stuff goes any sort of brain tumors that get removed um Go in the neurosurgery things when people have um hydrocephalus which is when the spinal fluid in your spinal column doesn't work the right way they go in and put a shunt in so they the spinal fluid That's a, shunt. a shunt is when they a shunt is when the fluid in your brain doesn't move correctly and it causes neurological symptoms it's usually in older people um okay. and they get confused so they come in they get a um, they get a drain, it goes, there's a little t- spinal tap, it goes in the back of their spine and they hang out on our floor and we take spinal fluid out of their back for a couple days and that takes the pressure off of their brain mm-hmm. and it usually um, decreases the symptoms they have and they like kind of come back to. And when they lose the confusion, their symptoms go away, that means we know that they have hydrocephalus and then they come back for uh, what we call a VP shunt, which is like this little shunt that moves the spinal, moves the fluid in their brain the correct way, and then it empties it. They take it, and they move it from their brain. They send this little pipe, and it goes all the way from their brain down through their neck, and it empties into their stomach, and it, it goes into their literally goes into their GI tract, and it <laughs> empties out there. Really? And that's what, a, that's what a, a VP shunt is. I won't, I won't go into more detail. <laughs> no, but I mean, that that's, was, but that's that was really
0: interesting. It's, like, just crazy. I feel like that's one of those things with just, like, science and, like, nursing and doctors that... Like I had no idea that existed, but it's and those, crazy that people figured
1: that out. They, you would and you would think that it sounds like a th- like a med- like a medical miracle, but yeah. that those are like things that go in and not anyone really thinks that much about. Mm-hmm. It's not really that big of a deal. Like yeah, people just- live, people live with them all the time. Like young people come in too. Really? Like if you have some sort of mal- malformation of your brain, they'll just go in they fix it and you can live with a shunt for your whole life without too much complication. Like it's not, it's not perfect. Like you still have some sort of disorder and you need to see a neurologist and that kind of stuff. But Mm. you literally go in, it's not as big of a surgery as you think and you kind of carry on. So, um, but there's like, you know, the list goes on. Those are like a couple examples of things that you see all the time in the Mm. hospital, but.
0: So obviously UVM is it's kind of like known as a great hospital across the country. Uh, I've, at least in my experience, I feel like people talk about it. Um, is there kind of something to working at that hospital, working in the neurology lab? Like, do they is that pretty standard at every hospital across the country that they have a neurology floor or la- or group, or is that something kind of sp- specific to UVM?
1: you uh so at this hospital we're the only level one trauma center in vermont so as far as like a state goes where it's unique to vermont Mm -hmm. um and we're the only level one stroke center so anyone that has like a big stroke uh will come to this hospital the only the the other closest place is Dartmouth-Hitchcock so like Mm -hmm. if you're down there in like the that area in New Hampshire you will go there or if you're in Albany and then like if you're far enough in upstate New York you go to Syracuse so uh we treat like a huge population of upstate New York upstate New Hampshire and then like pretty much most of Vermont so for how, I mean, I think it's like a 500 bed hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that we do anything that's like incredibly different from what, you know, what you think of like a large hospital, but uh, there's not a lot of places around that uh, do what we do. So like we get a, a really concentrated population of like a, like very, very far away people coming specifically to us, so. Uh, it's weird because you kind of, as a nurse, you start feeling like everyone's really, really sick because you just start seeing all the sickest patients from so far away. Um, so I, you have to like remember that you're just literally seeing, um, I don't know, two, 300-mile radius of people coming to one spot, and they're all on your floor. So I try to remember that when I leave work to, so I don't become a hypochondriac.
0: Um, yeah, how do you deal with that? Because you're just like constantly around especially with neurology like these severe injuries and whatnot and then just working in the hospital i mean is there like certain things that you like do to kind of make yourself sane because i mean i just my i work in business i just work at a laptop if if i mess up like nothing really bad happens like there's like the worst thing that kind of happens to me is like someone leaves my company i'm like oh i'm gonna miss that person like so obviously you have a little higher stakes how do you yeah the uh that's the
1: that's the hardest thing about nursing i think you um like the job itself is hard just like managing all of the things that come with nursing which is just kind of like a hodgepodge of expectations uh but the hardest thing is like if you mess your job up you kill someone uh and I think that's kind of why that's a good reason why I kind of switched into my other job, which is hospice, uh, which is end of life nursing. Mm-hmm. And that started sort of took the burden of that anxiety of having to keep people alive, which sounds morbid from a, a surface, like a surface perspective. But once you start doing nursing long enough, you feel relieved that your goals of care when you know that when someone knows they're going to die they're ready to and you can help them do that then you don't have the expectation of having to keep them alive is gone and then you can just help them be comfortable and help the family come to terms with that and and be supportive Mm -hmm. and that kind of anxiety of being in the hospital and dealing with all this medical stuff and trying to make all these decisions and um you know, whatever comes with that kind of job goes away and it simplifies the job. So I, I found um, solace in kind of doing both. Um, it's like a weird switch in my brain, where yeah. like go in the hospital, keep people alive, do all this medical stuff, and then I kind of get to do the other side, where um, I work for Beata, which is a private company out of New Jersey. They're like a national company. And they have a, um, they have a office that uh, I do per diem work for now. Um, okay. that I really enjoy so I kind of get to do both worlds and that's kind of kept me sane in the in the nursing world mm-hmm. and during during COVID times so. yeah
0: yeah I can't imagine yeah um so walk me a little through how you got into the neurology field because obviously it's kind of like a specialized field uh and obviously going to school did you foresee yourself doing this was this some grand plan or did you just kind of fall into it
1: it was it was a total oopsie uh for sure <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that uh, one in a while yeah, yeah yeah it was a total oopsie uh i had finished nursing school uh and then i was going to look for a job and then i got roped into uh a three week long trip to thailand for a friend's birthday mm-hmm that was like right in the middle of when everyone was looking for jobs. And that kind of messed up the natural (laughs) cycle of job hunt. So it put me behind like getting my degree, getting out right away and then, um, looking for a job. And at that point I had just graduated from Hunter college in New York. So I was looking for a job in Manhattan and I decided to like, wait. So I was working at a burger joint in the upper East side and like, didn't have that much of a, I was like, if I get a job, then I'm never going to go to Thailand. So I put that aside and then, uh, it's weirdly hard to get a job in New York, not because there's not jobs, but because of the, how bad the HR, uh, stuff is inside of the hospitals. They just get like piles of resumes and they Mm -hmm. don't get to all of them. So getting an interview is super hard. So, I basically had to wait for my friends to all get jobs at places. And then once they got established, I had a friend that was on a neurology neurosurgery unit and she got me an interview and I got my first job there. And then um, I stayed for a year and a half and then the the rest was history. And I've I've basically just been in neurology ever since. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a weird specialty. It's kind of like no one, really goes into it unless you started there because it's so hard um it's not like something that someone seeks out you just kind of you you have to love it and now that i now that i've done it for so long i have like a special place in my heart for it and i can't really see myself going anywhere else in at least as far as like inpatient goes because it does have a lot of this um like poor outcomes that i can incorporate some of the stuff i've learned from hospice and um, learning about uh, communicating what it's going to look like for some of these patients if their if their outcomes don't turn out so well and um, their prognosis is poor and they're going to die soon or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I get to work uh, part of my knowledge into uh, into the inpatient experience by um, by having the the hospice inpatient thing going on at the same time. So
0: yeah. So as far as like learning, because I'm curious, because you go through school, you did you said two years at uh st lawrence and then two years at hunter correct
1: i did so i did a i did an i did an undergrad program at uh st lawrence i was going to do a biology music Mm -hmm. double major and then i pieced out on an existential crisis (laughs) moved to new york worked for a couple of years and then I got back into an undergrad program and then I finished a ba- like a four year bachelor's program okay. at Hunter like slowly over an
0: mm-hmm. extended
1: period of time but a nursing program like the actual program's two years but you have to do all like the prereqs so it's yeah. basically it's a bachelor's program so okay. like over the course it's yeah. like four years but I kind of shortened it by having um science classes from St. Lawrence that okay. I could that kind of carried over from before
0: but so you're out of that and then you get this job at the neurology department yeah how much learning is it from like what you learned in school to the now this new job did you have to take like more courses or is it kind of like learn on the job because obviously it's a specialty field so how much more because i would assume you had to do a lot more learning correct
1: it's it's basically, and I, I would I would say that most nurses would agree that it's basically starting over uh, from nursing school into any job in the hospital to begin with. Okay. But uh, for a neurology uh, for the for the floor I ended up on, which was an incredibly difficult floor anyway, mm-hmm. um, there was a bunch of training that went into it, and then being on the floor and training and learning all of the skills while you were doing it was like one of the, was easily one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I would say it was much harder than nursing school combined for like the six months that I trained. So like the three months, months three, three, I think it was three months. So when you're on training, but like it carries into when you're on the job of like still trying to learn <laughs> how to, settle into it and mm-hmm. and decrease your anxiety and just get better at managing time and feeling like you know what you're doing mm-hmm. and time uh, time management is like a big thing just like yeah. getting out I just feel like you I feel like I could do the job fine but I could never find time to chart which is documenting all of the things that you did uh, which is really important that so you can cover your butt that you did all the right things while you were taking care of everybody. And that just takes a long time. If you had a bad shift and you didn't have time to do that and taking care of the patient's always the most important part. And I hate sitting in front of the computer when you have a bunch of other, obviously more important things to do than that. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, it's 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 so weird. You spend all this time like learning all this nursing stuff and then you get into the hospital and then you feel like you know absolutely nothing and you start from scratch again it is it is the weirdest feeling in the history of the world I it's it's i i and i i know i can speak for nurses <laughs> across the world it's like it's it's uh,
0: I've, yeah i mean i guess i've i've kind of heard that but not like to the degree that you're explaining it and um i'm sure people listening <laughs> um will feel that way. i feel you yeah I'm putting, uh, but i feel like not to like compare like business like because that's what i'm in nursing but to a degree and uh, in a lot of fields like you go to school and you get out of school and you know nothing because i mean you don't because there's people that did that and then also have worked like 20 years in the field and whatever and have that experience uh but as far as like going on to today are you still like learning things whether it's like new procedures or like just new things about the field that you didn't know, like I, I'm wondering how how rapidly does things change in neurology, and just kind of like in hospitals in general. Because I'm kind of unaware. I mean, I hear these things like stem cells and stuff like that, but that's just kind of like buzzwords that people use. I'm just curious how how fast care really expands.
1: I would say that the like the medicine and probably the surgeries and procedures change a lot, but I would say that the nursing care um, before and after probably isn't as um, profoundly different as some of the other things that have changed over the last 10 years. Like what we do, um, like we, we see what changes, but uh, our job is just to make sure that people are safe going in and out of a lot of those, a lot of the main things that have changed a lot of what has to do with surgery um medications have changed a lot too and you need to update your knowledge but i wouldn't say that it's changed a lot as far as that goes but um everything changes all the time and they and it's almost like you're it's hard to imagine what i didn't know i, I i've been a nurse for six years and I, i'm sure i've like just slowly kind of gathered stuff and it's almost like you don't even know that you're taking it in and i feel like a good hospital feeds you it that way so you're not feeling like you're taking big chunks of information all the time because then you just feel like you're overwhelmed and um i think nurses get burnt out from doing modules and um it's probably the same way in like mm-hmm. all businesses where you're just like clicking through yeah. slides and reading about new policies and all that kind of stuff. It's there's hard just to it's there's hard just hard like, to that way. Yeah. Think. There's just, there's just like a bunch of boring BS and mm-hmm. then they make you go back through the stuff that you already know again and you have to retest on it every year, that kind of stuff. So it's like hard to tell if they're just beating old stuff into your head or if you're learning something new, but we see new stuff coming all the time. And I'm, I, you know, I, I start paying attention to different things as I, as I, become an older nurse because I'm looking a little bit closer or I care about different aspects of the medical experience. Um, now that I'm, uh, you know, more seasoned than I was not, not doing the doggy paddle anymore. So I have a little bit more time to like take a breath and look at the overall picture of each patient and kind of figure out what's going on. So, um, that's, that's a nice experience. It's like having a little bit more understanding. Um so
0: okay that's cool. Um so kind of we'll bring it back to when you were first going to school to become a nurse. Was there any idea like I guess why nursing? Cuz obviously it's a very high stressful job. You have to be on top of things. Um it's I shouldn't say it's not a popular field, but it's not something that everyone goes into. Uh not something kind of like an engineer like business that's like more common i guess what kind of drew you to the did, were you just thinking like medical in general and then you settled on nurse or
1: uh i have a my, one side of my family has a couple doctors in it and they're uh it's my second cousins and one of their daughters was a nurse and i think she was just like over for a family dinner one time and she had a couple friends that ended up being travel nurses and I forget if I was in high school or if I had just started at St. Lawrence and she just mentioned that they were like traveling around, they're picking up three month assignments, which was, which is kind of like the, uh, at the time, a nursing, travel nursing is a big, uh, there's a lot of hullabaloo right now about it. I don't know if you've, I don't know if the general population is getting, I have heard it on this or like, not, but
0: yeah, I, I remember it was like, I want to say I listened to a podcast about it. It was talking about like kind of like new things in like the medical field, and that was like one of the little sections about it. Yeah, I couldn't really tell you a whole lot about it. To be yeah, honest, but the
1: long the long story short was it right, right now is that it's 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 mm-hmm. um you can it's very lucrative because there's such a bottleneck in nursing and COVID has made that worse. Mm -hmm. So if you wanna make a bunch of money and you're okay just like packing up your life and going somewhere weird, you can make a bunch of money. If you wanna go to South Dakota and take an exorbitantly large amount of patients and work a bunch of hours, you can make a pile of money, Mm -hmm. Um, which I don't have any interest in, but there's lots of people that do. And especially during COVID when there was like surges in certain places, and you didn't mind taking the risk and just going in and taking care of COVID patients, I think they're paying like, if you wanted to work like five 12 hour shifts a week, they're paying like five to $10,000 a week or something like that to be a nurse. Yeah, it was really, it was piles of money. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So back in the day there was travel nursing which was like you make a little bit more money for being flexible Mm -hmm. and you get to go to all these cool places and see places so that's originally what i thought when i got into nursing like it was a cool job you get some medical knowledge you get to deal with people and i don't have to work a nine to five which Mm was a big which was always like the big check off on my list i when i first moved to new york i was doing like a desk job that i really hated. And um, I knew that I was going to try to avoid computers in my, <laughs> which which nursing is not really a, a computer avoidance job. Mm-hmm. Which so if anyone if anyone's listening to this and is really trying to avoid that, it's not it's perfect, but hopefully it there's does. no
0: one in college listening right now. Yeah, a nurse yeah and they hate computers. It's, it's a lot better.
1: It's like one third computer compared to like you know ninety percent or yeah. something like a desk job. So. Um, but so I, I got into it for different reasons than I thought, and now that I'm in it, um, it's it's I, I really like it. i'm I'm happy to have gotten into it, and as much as it's not like a sustainable job to stay working as an inpatient nurse for a long time, working on a floor in a hospital is is grueling. Uh, and there's lots of other jobs you can get into in the nursing field to. To, to like keep your career going and not want to get into something else uh i i've never regretted it at all um so people flexibility uh i feel like i'm giving back i don't i don't ever feel like i didn't give something when i leave mm-hmm. um i feel like you know i feel disappointed when i feel like i could have done my job better uh but that's—I feel like everyone leaves feeling like that at the end of the end of the day. Sometimes too, yeah. so that's not uncommon. But yeah. it's well, just different when you're taking care of humans. Yeah, the, just, the stakes are just higher, so the emotions are wider. I guess. Yeah. So. Well,
0: it's like yeah, like if I fuck up at my job, it's like oh, I sent the wrong email to like a couple thousand people. Like for you, it's yeah, like someone's dead. Yeah. Someone someone <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely different different stakes, and I commend you for it. Um but we'll kind of jump off the nursing topic. Um uh, cuz you're a man of many talents. Um one which you kind of mentioned earlier. <laughs> you don't blush, you know. I'm, blushing. I'm sure I'm not the only person to say this. Um but so you you mentioned that you went to school to be for music. Um so you're a musician. You've been a musician your entire nurse life. rock <laughs> nurse rock. <laughs> i've never heard that before it's it's That's the new it's the one. new
1: it's the newest genre it's going to take off <laughs> it's, it's going to make the big bucks and retire early you
0: could make a movie out of that yeah
1: nurse rock and roll
0: <laughs> um but yeah so do you want to kind of bring me back because i've never heard this story and i've known you almost my entire life how did you kind of first get into music
1: uh my dad started making me take music lessons when I was in third grade. So
0: he made it like he it wasn't made, your choice.
1: He made me <laughs> take, yeah, he used to joke he was going to break my fingers if I didn't practice playing. <laughs> and he was joking. He wasn't, it wasn't a threat. For, for <laughs> yeah. people he I mean, was joking. He was, he was if, joking. If
0: you, you don't know. know Matt Cohen.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not modern child abuse <laughs> or anything. Uh, and then I took it for, two years and then i started playing lacrosse and i i hated piano Mm -hmm. um actually kind of found a cool piano teacher that i probably should have stuck with she was like playing blues music and she was teaching me how to play bob dylan songs and stuff and i think she like gave me a taste for what music could be Mm -hmm. and then i pieced out and played lacrosse for a couple years and then um both my parents separately bought me guitars and no one ever had to ask me to practice ever again i just use that as my outlet i learned how to read tablature which is um numbers instead mm-hmm. of musical notes um i had like a basic i could ba- read basic music from playing piano not very well but tabs are just numbers so you don't have to read music at all yeah. so i learned like all that 90s pop punk shit that i grew up on and Taught myself how to play guitar and then i'd say like halfway through high school I started writing songs and i put three albums out in high school and then started writing songs when i went to st lawrence and then uh i think that's kind of i mean not being not happy at college plus thinking that i could go somewhere where people were playing music and being around other creative people was what made me drop out of St. Lawrence and move to New York and give it a whirl. So I weirdly made that decision when I was 19. Mm -hmm. I'm 32 now. So it's, uh, feels strange to have made that decision at such a young age and, and to be here now being a nurse and (laughs) to have all the, to have, to have had it play out the way it has and have it been okay. Uh, didn't I didn't stray that far from the beaten path because I like went back to school and, and played it safe and got a good uh, good job and all that stuff. But I'm still playing music and putting an, putting an album out and stuff. But uh, I've been playing music forever and mm. I probably have I've probably written like three hundred songs. I think
0: something like that. Wow,
1: mm.
0: one more than me yeah
1: yeah <laughs> how many songs have you written <laughs>
0: I well i wrote i wrote a couple i think when i was younger i won't divulge the names of the songs or any lyrics <laughs> but i i can say i've r- written a few I, th- I i remember we in high school we used to do those like rap or pop songs and you make it into like the uh like the class you're in or whatever mm. like we did that in economics class um yeah, I want to go back to you said you played the piano and you wish you did. I was the same way. I really, I played the piano when I was younger, because uh, I wanted to play the guitar, um, and my parents said I have to like learn the piano first. That's like kind of something that they tell young kids. I don't really know how accurate that is, but I think the idea is like you play piano and then that kind of teaches you how to play guitar. But anyways, I re- like you said. I really wish I stuck with piano because it's such a cool instrument. And like, if you can just walk up to a piano and like play something, you're just instantly so much cooler. And yeah. Like I can't do that. Yeah. Right now. And yeah. It's
1: like sure, and sure. It's like
0: I wish I, I wish I could do that. Wish I could do that. But when you're younger, like you mentioned, like I played lacrosse and like I didn't want to do that other stuff. It's like, because when you're in like middle school, high school, it's not that weird if you play instruments. But there's like a certain like stigma I guess you could call it like a stigma around yeah
1: I think I think that's why guitar ended up being so great is because uh, it had the least amount of stigma Mm -hmm. comparatively because it wasn't like you didn't have to play orchestra like I didn't have to go take lessons I didn't have to play with other people I could just do it in my room It it was very therapeutic I got all of my teenage angst out by myself (laughs) um and uh i met a bunch of people because of it uh and i don't know i smoked some pot started writing some songs like it i I don't i don't know what i would have done if i hadn't like found some sort of creative release like that so i was really thankful that it ended up working out too that's that's the best thing I, i will say like if you even if the piano or the guitar like one of them works out it's Mm -hmm. like you can play those with your hands so that you can sing and and not everyone can sing but at least you can like learn songs that you know and play them and sing at the same time and that's like the most cathartic thing no one has to be good at playing music but if you can play something that you love and and people can sing with you campfire style Mm -hmm. you know as much as i hate playing wagon wheel like there was (laughs) you you uh it was a before it was like the cult world song when it had Mm -hmm. just come out and i was in i was at st lawrence i used to play that every night like whenever i don't know around around the campfire People would scream that, and it, and everyone was still into it. It wasn't burnout yet. Yeah. It was like one of the most communal, beautiful things because everyone knew all the words. Everyone felt really connected to the song. And um, saying, you know, it's like I don't. I have like a list of things I don't play anymore. I don't play Wonder Wheel. I don't play wagon. <laughs> I don't play wonder. Wonder, wonder wheel. Uh, I don't. I don't play wonder wheel wagon wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a couple ones I've like. are like blacklisted now. Yeah. But at one point, those were the songs that yeah. that um, like had that communal draw. That I think are the reasons why people like music so much. So
0: yeah, yeah, that communal aspect and kind of to what you say. and I mean, obviously you did it on a s- smaller scale, but I think of like these huge like rock concerts or like hip hop festivals, like there is something to like being able to play your music and just everyone knows the, especially if you wrote the song too, like it's an incredible feeling. And like you said, I mean, I've done it too. Like I, I played guitar a little bit and I still kind of play just mainly like chords, but, but yeah, like when you're playing a song in front of people and they're singing along with you, even though I'm, I am suck at singing, all my friends know this, my family knows this, but it's, it still, doesn't like, matter. it's still like yeah. this weird experience. And it's just, I don't know, to me, I love music. Like just the thought that sounds can make you like feel different emotions and things like that. I think it was incredible. It's, um, so it's
1: like a weird transcendental experience after, I don't know, you, I feel like I'm in my head all the time and that, that that's what gets you out of it is mm-hmm. the wildest thing. I'm so i don't know i just feel like i'm so analytical all the time mm. and that i've chosen something that can or f- or that i've found something that can get me to chill and it always does no matter what is is a is a real treat for a lifetime that i get that i get to have that uh gift mm. for, i mean for me and that everyone else gets to have that if they find if they find that for themselves too so
0: um so right before we started this podcast there's a banjo over here in the corner you just kind of picked it up and played it like i guess can you just pretty much play like any like string instrument kind of like that or is that just because you've actually played a banjo before
1: i can play a banjo uh but i learned uh so i can play any string instrument if it has frets Mm -hmm. if you give me a minute um
0: to like know the chords and s- like
1: you don't even have to really know the chords okay <laughs> you can, you just kind of have to i mean
0: i have a very low level yeah of knowledge yeah, yeah. of music so i, I can so, play i can play like the guitar ukulele kind of like those two that's about yeah. it
1: though you, as long as they have frets and you can like feel out the shapes of the chords i can figure out like how to make something <laughs> sound good yeah like if it doesn't have frets like we're you know like cello violin like oh, that, okay. that kind of yeah, shit. that's that's true. too that's too complicated but like a bazooki like i don't know what a bazooki tuned I don't to know. what is a bazooki? it's like a middle eastern instrument it's got i think it has three strings okay uh oh no it has six strings but they're like they're they're Double. like doubled like a mandolin mm. i think i forget there's a bunch of weird instruments that you can pick up and if they're in certain tunings that they're all kind of have the same patterns of the chord shapes, a banjo is an, an open G. Usually it's in the shape of a G chord. So when you strum it and it's in tune, unlike the one that's, (laughs) that's across from you.
0: This one's from, it might be from like the 1800s. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If Uh, they had banjos back then. They did. They did. Uh, they, they, the the shapes are similar to like an open tuning on a guitar so i i used to learn these old bob dylan songs that had the same shapes so when i originally picked up a banjo and learned how to play it i'd already known some of the shapes and found them like very um logical so like i didn't know what they were but i could kind of figure it out same thing with a um a mandolin i don't i just kind of figured it out Mm -hmm. i still don't know what i'm doing but i i know that i can make something sound good if you just give me a little while yeah
0: yeah so you couldn't even say like oh this song has like an a d and g chord you're just playing it
1: if you if i had to play a mandolin that was at least in tune like if you gave me an in tune mandolin i could find i could find the shapes of the chords and figure out what they are yeah. to the song eventually if you gave me something simple i could figure out what like how to play the chords to the song but i but i wouldn't like yeah just be able to like by ear figure out what an a or what a yeah kind of thing is
0: is that like normal
1: for a for a, for musician, a musician i would say for like a pretty like a medium seasoned musician yeah like, or like a like a you know Mid to advanced guitarist, I would say that's pretty normal. Okay. Uh, if you're like interested in transferring between instruments, like I like the idea of going between stuff and mm-hmm. I like the mystery of not knowing what's going on with an instrument because it leaves like some room for improvisation uh, and it makes it sound like you not knowing what you're doing gives you room to make something sound new. Mm-hmm. So um, I like that idea. Not everyone. Would necessarily feel the same way but yeah. it, but it kind of depends so
0: so how did you first get into writing music because obviously a lot of people play music they'll like do cover bands and stuff but a lot of people don't really necessarily venture into writing their own stuff so how did you kind of decide one day like oh i want to try this out
1: i don't remember <laughs> i i i remember the first Name. I. I mean. I think I was listening to a lot of Bright Eyes because the first name of a song I ever wrote was, although I thought you spoke the truth, it appears to me that you spoke. You speak out of both sides of your mouth or something like that. It was like really long and complicated, like a lot of weird old Bright Eyes songs. But um, I must have been listening to a lot of weird. angsty, emo stuff and decided that I wanted like a a way to express myself that wasn't covering someone else's music. And I wrote one song and then played a show and played all covers except for one song. And I played Mm -hmm. that one song in my set. And I think I was hooked that I someone told me that they liked the song that I wrote. And I got the feedback, I got that, like, feedback yeah. loop that I had made something that someone enjoyed and that we, that we shared the experience of them watching me play something that I wrote. And then that was just enough to, like, get me to keep trying to do better than that. And actually, that the first song actually wasn't that bad. I feel like I had, <laughs> I feel like I had, had been, like, they have been sitting inside for so long that, that when the first one finally came out and I had enough courage to do it that it, that for a first song, was actually tolerable. <laughs> I had the, like I, I can listen to it now and go, like that sucks. But like <laughs> I, I can make it. Th- I can actually make it through that song, and that's not. And I, I've written a lot of songs since that I can barely listen to. So
0: yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So you were you were nervous, and that was the first song you wrote. You performed
1: the first song I ever wrote. Well, I take that back. I wrote one in like middle school. Well, yeah. uh, that like was about politics or something but was, <laughs> but so because
0: i feel like i don't know i feel like that's not really that normal because i feel like people are nervous like they rate their first song and they're like oh no that's not good enough and then they like keep trying but
1: yeah it went on my first album i was writing wow. so, i was writing albums named after cheeses i wrote <laughs> i had three i had three albums named after cheeses and then after that i gave up on that because i, th- I <laughs> what decided were the three names? uh parmesan feta and provolone <laughs> Okay. I don't know why I picked those. Uh, <laughs> first one was Parmesan, and that song, the although I s- thought you spoke the truth, was on that mm-hmm. album. Parmesan. Yep. Uh. Was, yeah. Big cheese connoisseur. Big cheese connoisseur. <laughs> that was going to be my. That was going to be my Dang. gig. That was going like all the albums I ever put out are going to be named after cheeses. I mean, and there's then
0: plenty I, of cheeses. You wouldn't <laughs> run out. Yeah, that's what's, that's what I thought too. Mozzarella.
1: <laughs> yep. I thought I was being creative, too. I'm like, those are interesting cheeses. And now I'm older. I'm like, man.
0: Well,
1: that was my favorite cheese. So I was yeah. going to start with that one. But I was like, feta. Yeah, very exotic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then provolone. I didn't even know. I guess I didn't know that that was like a basic bitch cheese. I did, well, like, yeah. I- I you probably know.
0: just ate like American and cheddar. And uh, you're yeah. like, anything else yeah, it's it's, like, what is yeah, this? some next level. This is exotic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then... I didn't put out another album until I moved to New York. And I, at that time I was living in Brooklyn and I think, uh, the, the world had decided for me that it was not going to work out to keep calling my albums after mm. Jesus. So. <laughs> <That was it. laughs>
0: so how do you go about like recording these albums? Like, do you use like, kind of like, I mean, we have like microphones set up here. Um, but I mean, Because I don't really, I mean, I know what, like, goes into, like, I, like, personally, like, really like hip-hop, so I kind of understand how that, like, production goes. Sure. Uh, But I'm not so much familiar with, like, rock and, like, kind of, like, using acoustic guitars and drum sets. How does that kind of go about? Uh, And did you have people help you? In
1: high school, we did it bare bones uh my buddy jeremy leclerc recorded all my albums for free i think i gave him like a hundred dollars over the course of the three albums we recorded mm-hmm. and so <laughs> bless your heart jeremy Leclaire. he's he still lives in vermont i'm gonna take him out for drinks someday uh but i think we just set up uh like one mic, mm-hmm. and the whole album was basically guitar and cello. My friend Dan Ramsey was the lead cellist in the Vermont Youth Orchestra, so we did guitar and cello, and then mm-hmm. me singing, and then some percussion. So basically, everything was solo tracked into one microphone, and that was the whole album. Wow! And then the album I'm I just finished recording, and it's being mixed in L.A. was. Big time, big big time. It's fifteen tracks. We did it in the studio called Future Field, which is in Burlington, and that went anywhere from me recording it on a four-track cassette tape thing, Mm -hmm. doing it myself. I did two songs like that, and then some days we did like a whole drum day where there was like ten to fifteen mics set up at the same time to record drums, Um, only drums, and we were doing it like overdubbed on some things we'd already recorded uh some days we did live tracking where it was um me a bassist and a drum and a drummer all together in a room playing together at the same time doing like a, a like a baseline track and then we overdubbed a bunch of stuff over the track and then the whole album was just kind of like a hodgepodge um so like varying levels so anywhere of like one mic at a time to like i said 15 and then um i think that i think the track that had the most ended up um i don't know which i don't know what um daw you use or what you're used to seeing um i don't know what that like pro tools or um ableton or have you ever seen like the okay so <laughs> so okay so like when you when you in a computer you have a program that like yeah. that takes the sound uh, the sound uh, files and like lines them up so you can yeah. layer them okay, on top yeah. of each other. Yeah. So on one of my songs, we had eighty sound Jeez. files on top of each other. That's nice. So nuts. Was, like literally eighty tracks of music that yeah. go on top of each other on one song.
0: And do you are you involved in like editing that at all, or that's completely? Obvious? Yeah
1: i I'd say i I probably I'd say i Dan Rome, who um, engineered most of the album and I edit it and we, and then we co produced the album together. Okay. So I like I chose all the things that were gonna go on it. Um, which just like endless layers of stuff. We definitely overproduced it and we're gonna like tone okay. it back when we when we actually mix it. I sent mm-hmm. it out to this guy named Mike in LA who's really cool and he's gonna mix it and then send it back and we're in that process now. Um, but we like did all these layers together and then we cut all the tracks and all the different takes of me singing and um, made it sound perfect from like a, from a so, like one perspective. And then we're going to go back again and um, make it sound even better. I guess the, the long, long story short, mm-hmm. it's, it's really complicated and it yeah. takes a long time. We've been working on it for a year and a half. Wow. Yeah.
0: So I hear this term mixed constantly, like in music, like I've, and I've, to be honest, I've just kind of been like, oh yeah, I know what that means, but I really have no idea. What does that mean when an album is getting mixed?
1: So we recorded all of the sounds on the Mm -hmm. album, right? Like drums, guitar, voice, yada, whatever instruments, and then we try to make them sound good and you put them in and you change the volume. So you get like Mm -hmm. a basic, what what we'd call a basic mix where you can hear everything at an appropriate level. So like the drums aren't louder than the vocal. So you can hear the vocal above the guitars and the drums and the bass. But since it's not what it's being sent to mix so that everything fits together the right way. So you EQ things, meaning, you take certain frequencies from each of the tracks and either boost them or take them away in certain places so that everything fits together in, in an appropriate way. So you can move tracks from left to right so they're only in the left ear or the right ear, or you add more reverb to them, or you there's like a thousand things you can do to mm-hmm. each track uh, to make it sound how you want it and that's part of that is considered production, like how, how you want the album to sound. And part of that is mixing, meaning like how the whole thing is going to sound as a whole, like how, like how, how to make it sound cohesive and how to not make it sound muddy. Like if you add too much stuff, it starts sounding like mud. I don't know how to describe it, Yeah, uh, no, but, I
0: understand.
1: but it's, it's you have to clear up a mix, and and a, a good mixing person will like figure out how to make something sound clear. Um, mm. Like I think a pop pop music's a great example of something that's like crystal clear because it like catches your ear. Mm. There's no BS, and it just like it just slaps, and it's meant to go on the radio and just be really nice and sharp and bright um so there's a lot there's lots of different ways i'm i'm writing indie music so mm-hmm. it's not like gonna be like that but yeah their their job is to take what we've done which is make something already sound good and then just like refine it into something perfect i guess
0: okay and so i think you said this but how many albums will this be when this one comes out oh
1: are we counting the old ones too <laughs>
0: Every anything, <laughs>
1: anything, anything that I've counted,
0: unless you want uh, really to count someone's like mixed. Teams. No, not no.
1: <laughs> I think it's like uh, one, two, three, four, five. I think I'd call it my sixth album.
0: Okay, that's pretty legit good. thing. Yeah, sixth so studio sep- album. Yeah,
1: <laughs> if you count EPs, I count seven. Maybe okay, seven. I put a couple EPs out, so seventh like mm. studio ish. Try to legit put it on the internet thing
0: and they're all on like streaming platforms or
1: the 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 most recent stuff like Where's the it? last two most recent things are and this new one won't will probably be out in the fall hopefully okay. yeah
0: and it's like apple music spotify anywhere. all
1: that all this it'll be all out on all the stuff really? yeah
0: that's are you able to see like you're like i know spotify the big things like monthly listeners or whatever do you have that number or
1: i don't know what it is but i think that i think there is a number that you can see yeah i don't think it's very high right now because i i had been slacking and i'm rebuilding up my music career as we speak but at one point oh yeah yeah i got my i got my royal i got my royalty check for my puny pile of spotify plays from (laughs) last year really (laughs) yeah Well, um,
0: hey, that's more money than this podcast is generated. Yeah, so. that's, that's
1: true. I'll take it. It's it feels good to have it coming in, regardless. So yes,
0: your side hustle. That's what everyone I feel like. Hot side hustle is like hot in the streets. Everyone's talking about find a side hustle. It's
1: fine. It's fine. It's a it's a side hustle that's it's been keeping me going my whole life. So I'm I'm thankful for it. Even mm-hmm. if it if it brought me zero dollars, I'd still be doing it anyway. So yeah, I think that's a good side hustle, right?
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i guess not
1: really not really doing it for the money although it's it's a much better chance of me retiring early if i got a music break Mm -hmm. than carrying on with you know like a normal nursing hustle yeah so (laughs) it's kind of like a it's kind of like a weird lottery ticket Mm
0: -hmm. so people can just like if people listening want to listen they just search phil cohen just phil cohen yeah okay. there's
1: an album called before i go and then i put out a um a pop punk ep called songs for a 98 neon okay and those are the two things that are up on all the all the streaming platforms okay
0: i don't think i've honestly i've i listened to that i do occasionally listen to that album i forget the name of it it's the picture of you i think it's you and your dad outside of the phil's store
1: it's my grandfather it's you grandfather right? yeah yeah and that uh, one
0: song, "Pumpkin and Pumpernickel, I listen. Nice. To that. I, yeah. I have that on like my one like summertime playlist that like I just always play like in the summertime.
1: The chill, the chill summer playlist. Yeah. Nice.
0: What's the name of that album? It's called
1: "Before I Go." Before I go. okay. Which is a, um, a lyric off one of the songs mm-hmm. on the album.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Sweet. Do you have anything else you want to get off your chest, or? i like think that, this has been good. i think
1: that feels i think that feels good you did a you did a good job of of leading us through the through the adventure so thank <laughs> we, you so much for having we did, me
0: we completed the adventure
1: we did complete there the were adventure.
0: no casualties which was good
1: nope i i had uh i don't even think i finished my beer so you you <laughs> kept me you kept me fully entertained
0: that's good that's good uh hopefully people have made it through the entire podcast and get bored with us um <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, do you have any last words you want to say to people other than plug your music go go look at Phil Cohen on go Extreme look at Services. Phil Cohen on
1: on Spotify and look out for the album uh, Pull the blinds which will be hopefully coming out this fall and it's gonna be awesome mm-hmm. and uh, going on tour coming to a city near you soon.
0: Oh you are going on tour
1: That's the plan this Ooh. uh oh yeah so um
0: well have you you did a tour before correct
1: i did i've done some baby tours along the way but yeah. this but this is, this is i'm really big one? yeah like i guess we kind of left that out but uh, trying to Ooh. trying to do do the big kid the big kid swing and see all if right. we can make it happen
0: is there any like socials or like website people can look at or
1: not yet but that's it's all in the works all so right. Let me know if you need For the with future, that. I appreciate I do, you. Ooh. Oh. I, do,
0: I, I don't like specialize in social media, but like I know enough. and I know a couple people I can help. All right. Out, Fire,
1: fireside chat after the podcast. Yeah. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes. I will say you can tap UVM. It's just get like a marketing student to help you too. It's free labor.
1: That's a good idea. I like that <laughs> idea. Too. Yes. Avery. But, Avery for the win.
0: <laughs> um, all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye.